So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey. But there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, It is hopeless, for the Lord has called these three kings to hand them over to Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, There is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now Elijah said to the king of Israel, What business do you have with me? Go to your father's prophets and your mother's prophets. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to hand them over to Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord of armies lives, before whom I stand, if I did not respect Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And it came about when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and said, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of trenches. For the Lord says this, You will not see wind, nor will you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you will drink you, your livestock, and your other animals. And this is an insignificant thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. Okay, so right now we've got a couple of volunteers handing out some folders to all the kids. So just a reminder, kids, if you want to write some notes down or draw some pictures about what I'm talking about today and what you're learning, that would be great. Okay, for all the grown-ups, you can write notes or you can listen. Please just don't fall asleep, okay? Um, Now, today as we look at the sermon, there's actually going to be a couple of things that... um, do you know when you share stories when in preaching, often you share stories of, of other people and maybe stories of other people not doing so well or maybe you embarrass your family? Well, today, a couple of stories that will most likely embarrass myself. So I'm going to start there today. Um, I remember when we had first got our caravan, our first family trip in our caravan, and we basically had the first leg of our trip and we were driving from here to Jinjin. Now, we'd never, we'd driven with it empty when we picked it up for the first time. That's the only other time we'd driven with it before that point in time. And so we're driving down and we had over half a tank, maybe three quarters of a tank of fuel in the car. And as we're driving along and, and you know how you know when your car's almost, you know, the red light comes on and then you know how much time you've got afterwards. But then other cars are a little bit different. So some cars, the red light comes on just before it runs out and other cars run out. Oh, yeah, I can drive for another 200 k's before now. Anyway, um, that being said, we were driving along and we had actually passed Miriam Vale, but we're probably only maybe probably 20 minutes away from Miriam Vale and all of a sudden the red light comes on. Now, in my head, I'm going, okay, there's not a lot of petrol station between here and Jinjin. The, the real first stop is Jinjin or you stop in Miriam Vale. And I'm going, do I turn around and, and go back to Miriam Vale just to be safe? And I didn't do that. <laughs> so we kept on going. And I went, 
we're probably, we're probably less than 50 k's away. We'll, we'll get there. And I kept on watching the signs come up time and time again. We're getting closer and closer. And I'm thinking, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. God is with us. And then God said, like, when, you know what? I want to teach you a lesson about trusting in the wrong things. I don't know what the lesson is. Anyway, we got to the point, we, we passed a 10K sign to Jin Jin. And we went a little bit further and said, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And all of a sudden, going up a hill, the car slowly stops. And I had enough fuel to pull off on the side of the road. Try to start it again. I went, we're out of fuel. And I reckon by this point in time, we're probably 6Ks out of Jin Jin. 6Ks. So only thing I know I can do is like I'm going to have to walk and, and get to Jin Jin, fill up a, a, a tank of fuel and, and bring it back, fill up the car and then get back in the Jin Jin, fill up the car totally at that point in time. 6Ks though, it was getting later in the afternoon. I think we left after church on a Sunday and basically we're going, okay, I've just got to get a move on. Now, at the time, I was going to the gym semi-regularly, so I went, 6Ks, I can do that in less than an hour, and I can be back out here. So it might be an hour and a half, I'll be back to the car. But as I got out of the car, it made it worse, was this idea of these really dark clouds that were coming, and, and I was actually going into the clouds. And I went, I am going to get saturated while I'm walking alongside the road. Now, God blessed us though. There was a couple that actually saw, I was driving towards Rocky um, and um, saw me start walking away from my car and they quickly spun around, threw me in the back of their car and drove me that last six k's into Jin Jin. By that point in time, I was still soaking wet. I was soaking wet, sitting in their car, sitting next to their toddler. I'm going, how are you going? Anyway, got the fuel and got back to the car and praise me to God, that bit of fuel got us going again. Night still didn't go to plan. There was so, so much rain had happened in Jinjin as we rang the showgrounds where we were staying. The showgrounds is flooded. And it's because everything had gone so pear-shaped, we, we rang around and said, is, do you have a motel room that will fit six people in? Yes, we do. Okay, can we stay there tonight, please? And so all, all worked out. But the lesson is, your car doesn't run on empty, does it? Like, it, 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 if it runs out, you're pushing it, which no, the car really doesn't serve a purpose. It does on the downhill, the uphill, it doesn't really serve a purpose when you have to push it. And the thing is, like, it's so easy in life to sort of have that same idea where you start to run out of the things that keep you going. And the thing is, some of us learn to live at that state where we are constantly empty or probably more to the point, even constantly filled up with the wrong stuff. There's another story coming with that a little bit later on. But this is where we kind of pick up the story with, with the Bible reading this morning. You actually have, so just to give you a bit of context in time, what you had is it was just after Elijah had died. This is the time of it. So Ahab had died and, and, and Jehoram, who's the, the new king of Israel, um, basically, I think there's a bit of a disruption in, the, in the, the, the politics of the world at the time. And so Moab, who had been probably a, a forced ally of Israel, had went, we're going to use this time to sort of go out on our own. And so Israel basically went, okay, well, we're going to sort of put them in their place we're going to go to our, 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 
our people in Judah, which they weren't always getting along, but Jehoshaphat had been working at trying to rebuild that alliance between them, and the king of Edom was also in that. Now, basically, even though Jehoshaphat was trying to rebuild that alliance, they were in that position where um, they were very different in their frameworks of the world. Um, Jehoshaphat was a man of faith, a man of God, and had lived in that way, had realized mistakes and confessed them and come back to God. But Jehoram was a child of his parents. His parents, of course, were Ahab and Jezebel. So um, he very much worshipped other gods and other idols. And, um, and so it was really interesting because we, we actually pick up in verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they made a circuit of seven days' journey and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, they did a circuit of seven days. A circuit's like, it's not quite a circle, but do you know what? I think they got lost. I think this is the Bible's polite way of saying these three kings that were leading these armies couldn't actually find their way to doing things. And especially if they're travelling, they should be knowing where the next water source is. Because that's how you travelled. You didn't travel a direct route. You travelled to the water sources so that you could survive. It was in the desert. And so after these seven days, and there's a map. Can we go to the map? So you can see up north is Israel, and then down south is Judah, and then to the south um, east is Edom, and then north of that is Moab. So they were basically going to Moab, and they gathered together, and they're moving towards Moab. And they were stuck in the desert with no water let alone for themselves or their food that was coming. Um, And it's interesting at this point in time. So they're they're lost in the desert. What is the one thing that they need? Water. And they don't have it. They've run out. They are running on empty. And if they continue to do this, basically they're going to just... They can't even get back to where they were. They can't go forward. They can't go backwards. They are stuck where they are. And it's really interesting at this point in time because when we start to run on empty or we, we, we hit road bumps, we hit difficulties, anyone here ever blame God? Just me. Okay. Okay, you are way more spiritual than I am. So, But there are times where I feel like, God, why did you do that? Why did you allow that to happen? Sometimes I'm saying, God, this is your fault. When, when I'm in that spot where I'm not good spiritually, I'll turn around and say, God, this, you, you, this is all on you. You could have undone this. You could have made this right. You haven't done it. Usually it's a time when I'm not actually walking close with God at all. And it's interesting, in verse 10, we actually see um, uh, Joram, um, the, then the king of Israel said, it is hopeless. We are here in the desert. We are stuck. We are going to die here. For the Lord has called three kings to hand hand them over to the Moab. So all of a sudden, Jehoram has basically called King of Edom, Jehoshaphat, let's go get this guy. And they get stuck in the desert because they've got lost. And then he says, God, this is your fault. God who I do not follow, God who I do not worship, it is your fault. That's what he's done. Now, again, you see the marked difference between Jehoram and Jehoshaphat at this point in time. Because Jehoshaphat said in verse 11, he said, Is there no prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? 
So straight away he goes, hey guys, we're in a bind, we're in a difficult situation, we're running out of water, what can we do? We'll ask God. Now that should become like a, a no-brainer for us as Christians at times, and of course we all cry out to God when we're in need, don't we? That's the first port of call, like I'm, I'm just judging, like everyone's that really sort of zoned in on their faith that when everything bad happens in your life, the first thing you do is pray to God. I'm seeing like non-response, so I'm going to take that. Maybe you're a bit like me, where at times God will come into it, maybe when I've, I've worked out my other resources, when I've, I've tried, tried to take care of the problem myself. But the second bit of the verse says, the one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, and again, I wonder how timid this servant would be. Because you know what he's doing right now? He's bringing up the prophet of, of Jehovah to the son of Ahab and Jezebel who tried to king, kill Elijah into the nth degree. And so he says, Elisha, the son of Shapat, is, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, just to put that in context, Elisha has not proven himself as a prophet of God just yet. If you look in the, in the Bible, the chapter before is when Elijah is taken away by the chariot of fire. So this is Elisha's first real test. And so when he's introduced to these three kings, well, when he's, the idea is brought up in front of these three kings, oh, he's the guy that used to wash Elijah's hands. So maybe when Elijah was washing his hands, something rubbed off on, the, on Elisha. Maybe he'll be able to do something. And Elijah was a well-known prophet. So even that name being brought up, I think for Jehoshaphat, he would have went, Elijah, yeah, great. Jehoram, it would have been, that would have been the feeling. Because Elijah sort of meant different things to different people. He had taken up the training of Elisha. And the interesting thing was when, when they both came and first met, um, he basically said, um, now, and this shows Elisha, even though Elisha was very new to the prophet business, he knew exactly who he was and he knew exactly who he served. Because in verse 13 it picked up, Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, what business do you have with me? Go to your father's prophets and your mother's prophets. Now, I've never stood before any form of royalty at all. Now, um, for those who think they are prince and princesses here and kings and queens, I'm not talking about that idea, but I've never stood before royalty. And I've never stood before royalty at a time in history when if you did the wrong thing, um, off with their head becomes something that would follow after it. Like, so I, I've never been in that situation where I've, I've worried about doing or saying the wrong thing. Elisha, the first thing that comes out of his mouth saying, why should I be talking to you? You should get lost. Now, again, um, Jehoshaphat had probably sort of eased the tension in the room because he's the one that invited Elisha there. But you've got to imagine that wouldn't be a, a different thing. But that verse actually shows part of the problem that we have because it's not that we are empty all the time. Sometimes we are filled with the wrong stuff. Jehoram, he was a guy who worshipped idols. He had followed in the footsteps of his dad and his mother and they worshipped idols. And they put their stock into um, sort of lavishing um, sacrifices in front of idols and often at their own expense of people that they loved. There was common practice that you would offer your children up as sacrifices. You would make them walk through the fire 
so that you could appease or gain favour with your gods. It's something that appalled God when the Israelites followed along with this stuff. But that's who Jehoram was. His life was filled with all the wrong stuff. And again, this is where we can find ourselves. We can find ourselves in a position that the reason that we are empty is that it's not that we've, we've got a, a big hole in our life that God can come and fill up. It's that we've got a, a big sort of hole that's already filled up with all this other stuff. And it prevents God doing the stuff that God wants to do in our life. It could be beliefs that we have about ourselves or beliefs that we have about God. It could be beliefs that we have in other things. And we're going, you know what? If I just get to that point where I pay off that bill or get this thing or I get that job, all of a sudden my life, I'll be, I won't be running on empty anymore. But this is the thing, like, I have worked really hard sometimes just to get to that point where I feel like I can breathe again. I'll get that job done. I'll get this done. I'll pay off that bill. And and do you know what? I've found that there'll be a new bill, a new problem, a new challenge, a new goal. And, and, And the thing is, that does not satisfy me. That does not give me the energy to keep on going. It does not fill my life with the things that God wants to fill it with. And so we've got to be careful that we've got to realize more the point that our lives can be filled with the wrong stuff. It can be stuff that we worship that we may not think it's a God, but it's something that takes over our lives. And, and it's, just, it's, it's just clogging up the drains of, of what God is wanting to do. So the thing is, what we need to get to the point is, is that we need to get ready to be filled. And, and this is where the story is. This is this very unique story because we see stories of other of other God supplying water in other ways. So you had Moses; he whacked the stick, or whack, used the stick to whack the rock, and water came out. You had um, Gideon, and they had to bow down and, and they put their face in the water. They went, and they kneeled down and put it up to their face. They they stayed. There was this story about God supplying water, like Elijah got led to a creek until that creek ran dry and then he brought him... So God supplied for his people over and over again. But this story is quite unique. There's no water around at all. There's no clouds coming. We find out that later in the story. But basically, Elijah said, you need to get ready to be filled. And we see this in verse 16. He said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of trenches. Okay. We are about to fill up this valley with water, but to do that, there needs to be holes in the ground for us to do that. Um, Now, there's different words used here. There's pools, trenches, cisterns, holes. But no matter what word, if you're going to make a hole to be filled with water, it won't happen by itself. People, The army couldn't sit out there and go, oh, we'll just wait for God to fill up that flat land. No, no, God is going to fill up a hole. God is going to fill up a ditch. And they, they weren't certain how the holes were going to be filled. Now, you imagine you're out in the desert, you're hot already, you are thirsty already, and you get the command, go dig a hole. Now, some people might be thinking, oh, they're making me bury myself. They're making me dig a hole that I can hop into so they don't have to put me in later on. But everyone's out there with a shovel or a sword or, or some, a shield making a hole so that the water's going to come and looking up in the sky is going, there's not a single cloud in the sky. And even if there was a cloud in the sky, it could be like Rockhampton. 
where the clouds come, they look really bad and then the clouds go again. But there was no promise of rain. There was no promise of anything and they were digging these holes. There could have been some hesitancy in making a hole to be filled. But this is the principle that we've got to take away from this. Not only the, the, the Israelite army, but we have to, is that the holes, the pools, the trenches in this story would only be filled by how much that they'd been emptied. You, do you get that point? That that hole would only be filled by how much had been emptied. So if you should have got a small bucket and went, that's enough, that's as much as that hole's going to be filled. If you were really keen and went, you know what? I'm going to sort of make the biggest hole, the biggest trench so that God can fill it up. All of a sudden, when God brought the water, you were going to have more. And that's the principle for us as well. We, we need to get ready to be emptied. And sometimes the things that are blocking God from working in our lives, the things that are, that are stopping God from filling our lives, we need to remove them. And we, sometimes we need to remove them in, in all its volume, get rid of all of it. Because sometimes we only make a little bit of room for God. And we get this little bit of blessing. We go, oh, praise God, well, I can live on that for another week. And God's saying, empty your life. Fill, get filled by me. See, we, we need to empty ourselves so that we can be filled by God. We need to empty ourselves of weights and burdens, sin. If we're anything like the Israelites, we need to empty the dirt of our life, the garbage, in readiness to receive from God. But there's a second part to this idea because there are sometimes things that we put in our life that aren't bad things. They can be good things, but they get in the way of God things. Do you understand that? There are good things that, that the world would deem good. But we let it get in the way of God things. And how do we tell the difference? Well, it's by through listening to God. It's through saying, God, what is stopping me from being filled by you? And then God might say, I want you to change your job because that's going to stop you from being filled with me. God may want you to sort of um, change a way that a relationship that you have with someone. Or God may want to sort of change an attitude he's got going on in your life that everyone else says, that's okay to have that attitude. God may want you to put your money in different places. God may want you to do something drastically different in your life. And you go, I've never thought of doing that before. God may want you to go serve him in some different place to, to Rockhampton. If God is calling you to do that, that's a God thing. And so we need to remove the good things that get in the way of the God things. Because we can even get to the point where we are full of things in our lives that we use to give us value and definition. God, that thing that I have, that job that I have, that person that is in my life, those things, they, they make me feel important. They make me feel special. They give me my value. God, those things, they define who I am. People won't know who I am if I don't have this in my life, if I get rid of that, if I don't have that job title. People won't know how to sort of treat me. But the thing is, what we need to realize is that God defines who we are and gives us worth beyond imagining. Now, what happens when we fill up on all the garbage and we don't get the bad stuff out? Second embarrassing story. Not long after I got my Captiva, um, I was um, driving along. First, first couple of weeks were fine, but 
went up to fill up my Captiva one day and it is a diesel car. And automatically, just without thinking, pulled out the unleaded and started filling up. Now, I realised within probably 30 seconds and I pulled it out and I didn't know what to do. And I went, there's people backed up behind me. So what I'm going to do, I'll put the fuel in. I'm going to go pay for it. And they're going to go, why didn't they put like two bucks worth of fuel in? Today, it would have been about 15 bucks because that's how much it's gone up. But, um, but why did they only put two bucks of fuel in? And so then I went just in a panic mode going, I'll just drive my car because it's at the, um, the service station at Northside Plaza. I'll just drive and park it literally 30 metres away. So I basically started my car, drove it over there, parked. And the first thing I did was to actually ring James. Going, James, this is what I've done. I've done something really silly. And, and, and you can think of whatever word you want to think of. But like, I've done this. Like, what can I do? Is, it, is, it, is my car destroyed? Is it, he said, oh, well, you're going to have to get towed. Um, and, you're gonna, and he said, did you start it? I went, yeah, I did. He said, you probably shouldn't have done that. Because what happens when you start a car with the wrong fuel in it, it actually sucks the fuel into the fuel system. And so all of a sudden, a few phone calls later, I've had to join RACQ to get the car towed. Had to get it dropped off at a, at a Holden dealership. And then a few days later and a few hundred dollars more, I get my car back. I'm going, all because I put the wrong thing in and it was filling up my life. It was filling up my car. And we can, we can do that to ourselves. We can put the wrong things in our life and we let it circulate our life. And it causes damage when we rely on that above and beyond God. And so we need to basically make sure that we are, we are empty to receive what God has for us. Now, two things I want to finish up with. First of all, we are filled so that we can survive. When I am filled up by God, I feel like I can get through that current challenge. Maybe I can do more than that, but that, that current challenge that seems too much for you, when I'm filled by God, I know I can get through that. And we see this in verse 17. Um, For the Lord says, You will not see wind, nor will you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you will drink, you, your livestock, and your other animals. So basically, they've dug the trench, they've emptied themselves, ready to receive from God, and God has just brought water from nowhere. There's no storm, there is no creek, there's no spring that bubbles up. It's just God supplying and filling up the holes that were there. And so all of a sudden, they are going to live, their cattle are going to live, their horses are going to live. They're going to survive. That's the first thing. When we are filled by God, we will survive. The challenges may not go away. These, the Israelites were still in the desert. They were still right there, but they were going to survive because God had blessed them. And we need to realize that first and foremost. When you are at your end, when God fills you, you will survive. God will help you do that. But there is a secondary principle to this. When God fills us, it's not just to get us through to the next challenge or just to survive the life that God is, is, is that we're living. And because sometimes, again, we, we get to this point where we go, oh, we, sometimes we bring on the, the pain that we suffer. And, and so we, we come back to God, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You feel it gives us strength and we, we're able to move on. And then a week later, a month later, a day later, we're at that same point again and we're, we're calling out to God again, fill my life. Well, God, it's just not that. It's not just about surviving until the next challenge. We are filled to survive, but we are also filled so that we can serve. 
And that probably is the more pressing thing. Like, yeah, God gets us through our struggles. And I look through scripture of those that he helped time and time again. You go back to the story of Elijah. He spent years waiting out the drought and God supplied his need. But the whole time he was serving God. And even when he went to that really dark place after the, the victory on, on, the, on Mount Carmel and he fled to the desert and he wanted to die, God, God filled his physical need so he could survive. But then he also filled him so that he could continue to serve. And it's in that service that God will actually, uh, he, he doesn't want us just to sit back on our hands and go, okay, like I just, I'm, I'm, God is just there at our beck and call to, to make us live life easier. Now, God fills us for the purpose of serving him. And we see this in, in, um, in verse 18. And this is an insignificant thing. So basically, God is talking about the water. You know, Elisha talking about what God is going to do with the water. He says, this is an insignificant thing. Yesterday, you guys were dying of thirst. I'm going to fill this valley through no mean feat, something that you could not do, but it's an insignificant thing. And speaking of insignificant things... He's also going to give the Moabites into your hands. There was a job that God was calling them to. And so, yeah, I'm going to supply your need. I'm going to fill you up so you can survive. But I'm going to fill you up so you can serve. I'm going to fill you up in such a way where you can go out and, and, and reach the loss to serve those in need around you. That, so you can help that person that is struggling more than you are. God will fill you so that you can serve. And we see this even more so in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Oh, we just want to leave it there, don't we? Leave that verse right there. Like God is going to bless us with everything in abundance. Oh, my life is going to be filled. My life is going to be good. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. What's the purpose of actually being having abundance and everything in abundance? Like, and, and, and everything, everything being blessed so that you can share in every good work. There's, there's actually a flow-on effect to God blessing us. And this comes in, in all the things that God does for us. God loves us so that we can love others. God shows us grace so we can show grace to others. God forgives us so we can forgive others. God supports us so we can support others. And sometimes we need to realize that we are the answer to the prayers that we are praying, but we wanting God to do something disconnected from us. Oh God, those people over there need your help. Amen. Go over there, God, just in case you can't see them. I can see them. They're right in front of me. You need to go in and help them. And God's going, yeah, I know they're right in front of you. Like, take a hint. Like, I brought them right in front of you so you could see them. And all you're doing is asking me to do the thing that I'm asking you to do. God blesses us so that we can bless others. God fills us with all that he is so that we can help others get to that point as well. And, And this is the thing. As we step out and serve God, we no longer have to fear running on empty. If we empty ourselves, if we get rid of all the things that are in the way, well, and, and, and the thing is, like, it might mean stopping some things you're doing for church. Doing church work or doing something for God that gives you identity is not the same as doing what God wants you to do. There might be things God says, I want you to take a break from that. Except for Tony, you're stuck, mate. Like, you are stuck as treasurer. So just, just want to put that out there. It's recorded, so that can't change. Um, but the thing is, we, we need to sometimes let go of things so that God can fill us anew. 
afresh so that we are ready to serve him where he calls us to do. And so, you know what? I'm, I've been feeling it. I've been feeling running on empty. I, I know what it is to, okay, this, this week, this week, I've just got to get through this week. And you know what happens? Next week looks even worse. And I'm going, okay. And, and for me, like, we're coming into a season of, of exciting things around our church. And so I'm not looking towards the end of next week. I'm going next six weeks. After that, after that it, should, it should slow down. It should stop. And what will be in place at that point in time? What new world crisis or personal crisis or new challenge or new people that we're talking to about Jesus? What will be happening then? And so what I need to make sure to look after myself and so that I can serve him to the best of my ability is make sure that I can be filled by him. And I need to remove anything that stops that from happening. It could be putting my phone down in the morning and actually opening up my Bible turning that TV off and, and actually taking some time to pray. I was talking to a pastor the other week and he said what he's done, he's actually changed his quiet time model because he used to do his, his quiet time first and then take time to pray. And often what he'd find by the time he finished doing his quiet time, other things had come up and he was busy doing those things and he wouldn't take time to pray. So what he's done now, he'll get up early in the morning, he'll take a walk and go pray and then he'll come back and take the quiet time. Why? Because prayer is the thing that will fill him up. Prayer is that thing that will fill his life with, with the presence of God. And so he doesn't want anything getting in the way of that. Even working for God in the church. So we need to prioritize some things at times to make sure that we are empty so that we can be filled by what God wants to fill us with. And so, hey, if you're running on empty, there's an answer. If you're running okay, well, then you're probably going to come across a time where you're going to be emptied. So make sure that you are continually filled by God. Don't, don't fill it up with other things. It's like when you go to Maccas and they give you a cup full of ice and then they put the soft drink in and you go, I don't actually get that much drink. So spiritually speaking, tip out the ice, let God's blessing, let his living water fill up your life to completeness. And walk in the blessing of his strength in your life. You are filled so that you can survive, but even more so, you are filled so that you can serve. Lord, I thank you that you fill us. I pray that you would do in us today even empty the dirt and, 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 and the sin and the, and the busyness and the, and the things that fill our life, Lord, that aren't of you. And in so doing, Lord, I pray that you would then come and fill us with all the fullness that you have. Fill us to the point of overflowing so that we would be able to survive. But more than that, we would be filled to serve you in our home, in our workplace, in our community, in our church, and the places that you take us, Lord. I pray that you would fill us, Lord. Fill us today with the blessing that you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Ah,